Good morning. Good morning. That's my polite way of saying shut up and sit down. We uh, uh, want to uh, just uh, point out for uh, those of you who are interested in coming to the event on Tuesday night at Hunt Valley Church, uh, Frank Boswell, the senior pastor at Hunt Valley, and I are going to be doing a forum uh, on Rob Bell's new book called Love Wins. Uh, that is, if you've been to Hunt Valley, it is not at the main church building, which is where they have their services. Uh, it's around the corner at a place they call The Point, which has their offices and has a more informal space where this is going to be held. Uh, if you go on their website, you can find it, uh, but uh, there also is the, uh, I will be sending around on an Inu Hope, uh, a, uh, uh, the, the official technical address if you're uh, using uh, your uh, GPS or Google Maps or uh, divine guidance to get there. Um, but uh, it's going to be a, just an informal uh, time of, uh, of discussion. I'm very much looking forward to this. Uh, Frank is, is a, uh, a very thoughtful and, um, and wise person. So it's an honor for me to do this. Yes, ma'am. What's that? It is not known at this point whether it will be recorded. The, the prospect of recording has, has been considered. Beyond that, I don't know. So, yes, it has been... Yes, it, it has been requested, yes, yeah, so we'll see. But one of the reasons this book is so controversial is that it strikes to the heart of many of the questions that folk ask about the implications of the doctrines that we proclaim. We will, in just a few short minutes, be taking communion together, and when we do that here at New Hope, we always recite first the Nicene Creed, the end of which we say, He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and His kingdom will have no end. And when we sing the song like, I will rise, that Jesus has overcome, and the grave is overwhelmed, the victory is won, He's risen from the dead. We talk about Jesus having victory, as we talked about Friday night. Jesus has victory over whom? His enemies. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. But death is by far the only enemy. And as we talked about Friday night, the clear testimony of Scripture, and certainly what the church has upheld, is that there is no Switzerland in this battle. You can be an enemy of God, or you can be a friend of God. And the way God defeats His enemies is by first giving them the opportunity to become his friends. But those of his enemies that do not choose to become his friends remain his enemies. This is a deeply uncomfortable notion, isn't it? And in the wake of the publication of this book, which asks questions about the eternal destiny of people who may not have, in a way that we might recognize, chosen to become God's friends. The George Barnes Research Group has put out a study about what Americans believe about universalism, as universalism being the notion that everybody ultimately is reconciled to God, and pluralism, pluralism being the idea that there are many ways to be reconciled to God. And one of the questions that they asked, they asked people whether they agreed or disagreed with this question, all people 
or this statement, all people will experience the same outcome after death, regardless of their religious beliefs. I'll say that again, hopefully without mangling it. All people will experience the same outcome after death, regardless of their religious beliefs. Forty percent of people in America agree with this statement. Fifty-five percent disagree. The funny thing is I'd agree with that statement. I know what they're asking, and the way they want me to answer that question is no, but the truth is that all people will experience the same outcome after death. John has Jesus in his gospel talking about it this way, starting in verse 19 of chapter 5, I tell you the truth, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his Father doing, because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he does. Yes, to your amazement, he will show him even greater things than these. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. Moreover, the Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. But he who fails to honor the Son fails to honor the Father who sent him. Tell you the truth, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He's crossed over from death to life. But listen up, I tell you the truth, a time is coming, and indeed has now come, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For just as the Father has life in himself, so He has granted the Son to have life in Himself. And He's given Him authority to judge because He's the Son of Man. So don't be amazed at this. This shouldn't come as a surprise to you. For a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear His voice and come out. Those who've done good will rise to live. Those who've done evil will rise to be condemned. By myself, I can't do anything. I judge only as I hear. My judgment is just, for I seek not to please myself but him who sent me. What Jesus is talking about here is not universal reconciliation, but he is talking about universal resurrection. And he did not just make this up. This is firmly rooted, not only in the Jewish thinking of his time, but indeed... In Scripture, Daniel says in chapter 12 about the age to come, at that that time, Michael, the great prince who protects your people, will arise. There will be a time of distress such as has not happened from the beginning of nations until then. But at that time, your people, everyone whose name is found written in the book, will be delivered. Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, but others to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens, and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. version of this picture in Revelation looks like this. John has this vision. He sees a great white throne, and him who is seated on it, earth and sky fled from his presence. There was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, Standing before the throne and books were opened. 
Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they'd done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that was in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what he had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. This is not teaching universal reconciliation, but it is teaching universal resurrection. The day will come when the trumpet will sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. But it is not only those who are in Christ that are raised from the dead. It is everybody that is raised from the dead. It is everybody who appears before the judgment throne of the most holy God. And Paul talks about this phenomenon this way in Colossians. He says, since you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And you may look at that and say, now, wait a minute. Paul, do you not have a watch? Right? Didn't you say in 1 Corinthians that we will be raised? Right? Christ is the first fruits from the dead. And, and so then we will be resurrected. Why are you saying that we have been raised with Christ? Well, there's a sense in which the reality of this resurrection is something that we anticipate now, that we experience now in part what one day we will know in full. Since then, you've been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears... Then you also will appear with him in glory. And he talks about this more in Romans. He says, what shall we say? Are we going to go on sinning so that grace may increase? No. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Don't you know that all of us who are baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We are therefore buried with him through baptism into death. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. So in baptism, in the sacrament of baptism, we enact the dying with Christ as well as the rising with Christ. If you go to a good baptism, if you go to a bad one, the person just stays under the water and that gets, you know, kind of awkward. But baptism involves not just the picture of cleansing, it involves the picture of dying and being raised again. And Paul is saying that there's a sense in which this future resurrection is something we get a piece of now. If we've been united with him like this in his death, we also will certainly be united with him in his resurrection. We know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who's died has been free from sin. See, if we died with Christ, we believe that we also will live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he can't die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. 
So in the same way, Paul says, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, don't let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Don't offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. For sin shall not be your master because you're not under law, but you're under grace. Those of us who are in Christ have been united with Him in His death and are united with Him in His resurrection. One day we will know this in full. Now we know it in part. But it is firmly true. So the writer of Hebrews says, In chapter 10, starting in verse 19, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened up for us through the curtain that is his body, since we have a great high priest over the house of God, then let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, having our bodies washed with pure water. As we've been talking about and as we've been going through Leviticus lately, you don't approach God in worship unless you're appropriately purified, unless you're appropriately clean. And some of that has to do with simply making sure that you're following the proper rituals. But some of it, too, has to do with the atoning work that the priest accomplishes when he brings the blood of the sacrificial victims into the most holy place to make atonement for sin so that it is possible for God's people to be acceptable to him. And year after year, this story is told and retold in this picture, this dramatic, vivid image of the blood being spilled and being brought into the most holy place by the priest so that the people may be made acceptable to God. Year after year after year, this service goes on in the temple, but the writer of Hebrews says that when Jesus came and offered through his death an acceptable sacrifice, That was no longer necessary. Really, it was no longer relevant. Jesus made it possible for us to draw near to God with a sincere heart and a full assurance of faith. It was His blood that enabled our hearts to be sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience. The separation between God and humanity is taken away. We are made acceptable. And so because of this, the writer of Hebrews says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who who promised is faithful. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let's not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. But look out, he says, if we deliberately keep on sinning after we've received the knowledge of the truth, 
There's no sacrifice for sins left, only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Anyone who rejected Moses' Torah died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think a person deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who's treated as an unholy thing, the blood of the covenant that sanctified him, and who has insulted the spirit of grace? For we know him who, say, who said, It is mine to avenge, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Each of us, one day, will be raised from the dead. Each of us, one day, will no more be able to prevent that than we can tell our own heart to stop beating. And we will appear before the judgment throne of God. And it is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God, the just, the holy, the righteous, the true God, unless... unless we are covered by the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. His resurrection from the dead we celebrate today is the vindication of all that he said about who he is. His resurrection from the dead is the proof that his death on the cross on Good Friday was not simply a nice example of somebody who was really, really, really good to his people and willing to take one for the team. He said, you destroy this temple and three days later, it will be rebuilt. And guess what? That's what happened. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. No one comes from the Father to the Father but through me. And that would have been just some ridiculous ravings of some religious lunatic if he had not, in fact, been raised from the dead. But because he is raised from the dead... We have no choice but to do business with what he said about who he is and what he came for. God does not give us the option of standing off to the sideline. We may be enemies of God or we may be friends of God. And the fact is that unless we choose to be friends of God, unless we receive his invitation to be his friends, unless we repent of our sin and fall upon His mercy, unless we allow ourselves to be cleansed by the blood of our Lord Jesus, then when that day of resurrection comes, we will be numbered among the enemies. And it will not go well for us on that day. So remember those earlier days, the writer of Hebrews says, after you received the light, when you stood your ground in a great contest in the face of suffering, sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times, you stood side by side with those who were treated like that. You sympathized with those in prison. You joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. So don't throw away your confidence. 
it will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he's promised. For in just a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. But my righteous one will live by faith. And if he shrinks back, I will not be pleased with him. But we, the writer of Hebrews says, and the writer of Hebrews invites his audience to say, and the Holy Spirit invites all of us to say, we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who believe and are saved. The people ask Jesus, so what work must we do in order to be acceptable to God? And Jesus said, here's the work. This is all the work you need to do. That work is simply to believe in the one that he has sent. So will you stand with me as we affirm our belief in the one he has sent? We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. By the power of the Holy Spirit, he became incarnate from the Virgin Mary and was made man. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. The third day he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. With the Father and the Son, he is worshipped and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Our communion table here at New Hope is an open table to all who call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We invite you to come forward and take the elements and then bring them back to your seat and we'll take them together. Uh, The white is grape juice, the red is wine, and the uh, bread is unleavened.